And uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nahum, we don't ever take our text from Nahum. Nahum is a good book. And uh, I did a series on it in another church on the book of Nahum. Um, but uh, Nahum is like the, the follow-up book to, for basically Jonah part two. Um, but we're not really talking about Nahum today. Uh, we are talking about where is God? How many has ever wondered where in the world is God right now? Well, I'm gonna, we are going to try to answer that question um, in, this, in this series. From the book of Nahum, chapter 1, we're going to read just one verse, no, verse 3. It says, The Lord is slow to anger and in great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So now, in context, Nahum was, as I said, Nahum, which was written about 200-ish years after Jonah came to Nineveh, and Nahum was also written against the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh, as you may know, is, was the capital of Assyria. The Syrians were horrible people. We don't have time to go into why the Jews hated them, but suffice it to say, they had good reason to hate the Assyrians. Um, even though the, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself, these were easy to hate people. So Jonah was not happy to go to the Assyrians, much less to their capital, and much less see them saved. He got mad at God for sending him revival, um, a revival that he really didn't want to happen. But, but God did send judgment down on Nineveh, but it was not in Jonah's time. Um, God allowed space for repentance. So this is what Nahum was written towards, and, and, and the Lord said, God will not at all acquit the wicked. That means... Basically, he gives, does give space for people to repent. But at some point, judgment will come on this world. Now, it may not come in this lifetime. But at some point, every person that has not been through the waters of baptism and received the infilling of the Holy Spirit will, will, come, will have a come to Jesus meeting with, with, with the judge of all the earth. Um, and then he says that the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Again, th in context, this is talking about how the enemy of the Assyrians and Nineveh specifically would come and there would be dust and clouds, dust like clouds under their feet. So he was coming in judgment against, against Nineveh. However, it, it does teach us this one thing, that man cannot unseat God from being king of kings and lord of lords. They can protest, they can march, they can pass every law under the sun. They can say that God doesn't belong in school. You know, they can, they can try to bind the word of God. But the word of God is not bound. The church will march onward no matter what happens around the corner or who's president of the United States. God has a plan. And this king is not elected. Aren't you glad for that? There's not an election to decide who's king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. He, he is forever king of kings. And that means he's also omnipotent. That means he's, he's all-powerful. He's sovereign. This word whirlwind in the Hebrew means Red Sea. It also means a hurricane or a tempest or a storm. And uh, I find it fascinating that from the Hebrew, you know, if you were to say Red Sea in the Hebrew, you would, you would say whirlwind. Or it's the same word as, as translated whirlwind. And, of course, you know, it brings to context how the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. And how, you know, when you, when you come to a place where the, 
where there is an impossibility before you and there's an impossibility behind you and you've got nowhere to turn. He's the God of the Red Sea. He's the God of the whirlwind. Amen. And so it reminds me of this, from this story from Mark chapter 6. Verse 46 says, And when Jesus had sent them away, this was right after he had just fed the multitude with a few loaves and fishes. He departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. So Jesus is not physically with the disciples at this time. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he comes unto them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. You ever wondered why Jesus was going to pass them by? But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Calm down, guys. It's me. You just saw me on the land. Why was Jesus going to pass them by? Now, my answer may not be right, but here's, here's what I think. Maybe because they were all experienced fishermen and had endured many types of storms before. Well, not all of them. Most of them were experienced fishermen. And maybe at first they had, uh, we've got it, this Jesus kind of an attitude. You ever had that kind of an attitude in your, in your life? Lord, I've, I've got this. I've got it all under control. And although they had toiled most of the night fighting this storm, nobody in the ship, as far as we could read in the text, and you can read this from other parallel gospels, and it leaves out this important detail as well, nobody thought to pray or to ask God what they should do during this storm. Nobody thought... Uh, Nobody in the ship thought to pray or cry out to God, even though they had just seen an incredible miracle. Their faith was still way too small. Because when our faith in God is small or at times non-existent, we tend to have a strong tendency to rely on our own abilities and in what we can do. And we push all the buttons and we turn all the knobs and we make all the phone calls and we do everything that we can do. Until finally, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and our ship is full of water, and we've got, and we are just sure that we're about ready to sink. And then, we pray. I've heard people say, well, all we can do now is pray. As if. There's nothing else we can do. We've tried everything that we can, so we might as well give it a Hail Mary and pray. Maybe he'll answer our requests. It's a Hail Mary pass, but you never know. Don't hurt the ask. Well, that kind of faith isn't going to get you anywhere with God. <laughs> you won't even get your sins forgiven with that kind of faith. If we had the same kind of faith that whenever we mess up and we pray and we ask God to forgive us, if we have that kind of faith, that much faith, as when we get sick or we need a miracle, if we had that kind of faith, then there is no limit to what God would do. Because the only thing that ever really limits God is our lack of obedience, and our lack of faith. Those two things will always limit God. And, and the Lord planted this thought in my mind, that this possibly is one of the reasons, or maybe the reason why Jesus would have passed them by, is because of this. Self-reliance is the enemy of the miraculous. 
Self-reliance is the enemy of the miraculous. One huge reason why God doesn't always choose the ones we choose. We tend to choose the smartest, the best looking, the best educated, Sarah, the ones that can speak the best. But when you look throughout scripture, that's not the case at all. God chose Moses who could barely put a sentence together. I mean, by his own mouth, it says Moses said that he was slow of speech. Send Aaron, Lord, don't send me. David was, you know, tending a little flock out in the middle of nowhere. It, he, you know, his father didn't even think to bring him in. He was, he was a, a handsome-looking little boy who wasn't, hadn't even shaved yet. And, and, and the Lord chose him to be king. And the Bible is filled with example after example after example of when God overlooked the ones that man would have chosen. And the times when God chose, like King Saul, when he gave the people what they wanted, give us a king, give us you know, a handsome guy and, and one we can look to, a leader, a strong leader. We know how that turned out, don't we? If you don't know how that turned out, just read the book of Samuel. And you will know how King Saul's life ended. It wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. Okay, he, was, he turned out to be a very bad man. One reason why we see fewer miracles than the previous generation did might be because we have more options when we're sick than they did. And we've got good options. We've got not everybody, but most people in this room, maybe everybody has health insurance. We've got knowledgeable physicians. Even the way that doctors and hospitals have treated COVID-19 has gotten significantly better over the past eight or ten months. And I know that because I work in the healthcare sector, but for those that are nurses, you know the same thing. There are better treatment options. They're not putting patients as quickly on ventilators anymore. Fewer patients are on ventilators. Research Medical Center, right now, as of last week, they were treating 50 COVID-19 COVID patients that were tested positive for it, but only two of them were on ventilators. This is, I think this was as of two weeks ago. That number is probably different now. But that, that shows you we're, we're getting better. Ninety-something percent of the people that have been treated, again, I'm only speaking of research because that's the hospital that I primarily work at. Um, again, just at research, 95-something percent of the people that have had COVID-19 have been, uh, have been discharged with a, with a clear bill of health. So not, not waxing political, I'm just making a point, and the point is, is that we've got options, and we've got good options. So it's no wonder that when we're diagnosed with cancer or something else, we don't even call, you know, sometimes the pastor, or we don't ever get on our knees and say, God, I know you're the God of miracles, and you're going to heal me. The first thing we do is look for a good oncology doctor. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not against physicians. I'm just pointing something out that one of the reasons why we may not see as much of the miraculous and as many healings yet is because we have so, too many options. We are self-reliant. But when modern medicine heals us, God does not always get the credit. But Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. That's about 3 o'clock in the morning. After they had spent up all their energy, after they had tried all their fishermen tricks, after they were out of ideas, and when their self-reliance, and maybe it was Peter that stepped out onto the bow of the ship and spoke to them all, finally, after the boat was full and they were about ready to go under and said, boys, we need a miracle. Maybe we should pray. And then Jesus showed up. Now, it was never really about the storm. It was, of course, always about their faith and their dependence on God because they were not ready yet to be the book of Acts at that point. Even if, they, you know, if it were possible for them to have been filled with the Holy Ghost at that point, I don't think you know, 
that they were just ready to have to step out into that level of faith yet, where, where they automatically believed God for a miracle first before they resulted in trying all their options first. Um, and so as they were toiling and laboring to fight the storm, nobody thought to pray a prayer of faith. They were still in an earthly mindset of doing what they could instead of believing God for a miracle from heaven. So Jesus waited. And where was he when he was waiting? Look at verse 46 of our text. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing. Where did he see them from? The mountain where he was praying. For the wind was contrary to them, and about the fourth watch of the night, came to walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. Where was God when they were struggling he was watching them from the mountain all along, and he never took his eyes off of them. And just as at the perfect time, he showed up to show his sovereignty over everything that they were struggling with. Walking on top of the thing they, they thought was going to utterly destroy them. And let me tell you this, when you come to an end of all of your tricks... And all of the whatever's up your sleeve. And, and you come to an end of all that. And you get honest with God and say, Lord, I need a miracle. I promise you, he will be there in that hour. He will be there to show you a way up, out, or through it. Every single time. The things you are struggling with today are the things that Jesus Christ is walking on top of. The things that are under his feet. We have to give up self-reliance because where that ends is where the miraculous power of God begins. I'll say it again. Self-reliance is the enemy of the miraculous. God will not show up or will rarely show up where flesh gets the credit. So he lets things get beyond our grasp. So that he can show his mighty power. We have to see God as having all power. Romans 13 and 1 says this. Let every soul be subject unto the higher power. For there is no power but of God. Powers that be are ordained of God. Now the word power here. It does reference more than just power over the wind and the waves and over cancer etc. But it references power in the sense of governmental authority. In other words God sets kings up and God sets kings down. The church ought to be praying, instead of praying, Lord, let this man be elected or let this person get in this office, we ought to be praying, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In our nation, we can pray according to the word. We can pray against certain policies that directly violate the word of God. But as far as setting up kings, let's you know, get out and vote, best of your ability, but leave all the rest up to God. Amen. Uh, because it says he sets them up. Now, some leaders are set up or appointed for bad reasons, as King Nebuchadnezzar was set up to punish God's people. And King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't necessarily a righteous man, yet the Lord called him my servant more than once. No political, no politician or political leader can dethrone God, and he's always Lord over every situation. We must be tapped into the mindset of the miraculous. A willingness, an eagerness to see God work first in our situation before we resort to all the things that we can do. Just as Jesus was watching them closely from the mountain, so the Lord watches closely over his church and never takes his watchful eye off of you and I. Look at this verse from Psalms where it says this, Show that loving kindness, marvelous loving kindness, O, o Lord, O thou that savest by thy right hand. Them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. 
Keep me as the apple of thine eye and hide me under the shadow of your wings. This phrase, apple of the eye, I, I've always wondered what it meant because things often mean something different in the Hebrew. And it, it does mean something different. An exact Hebrew paraphrase would be the little man of the eye. And I love this. This is from the treasury of David. And I'm quoting directly from that. It says, there is no part of the body more precious, more tender, and more carefully guarded than the eye. And of the eye, no portion more peculiarly to be protected from the central apple, the pupil. Or as the Hebrew calls it, the daughter of the eye. The all-wise creator has placed the eye in a well-protected position. It stands surrounded by protecting bones, like Jerusalem encircled by mountains. Moreover, its great author has surrounded it with many tunics of inward covering. Besides the heads of the eyebrows, the curtain of the eyelids, and the fence of the eyelashes. And in addition to this, he has given to every man so high a value for his eyes and so quick an apprehension of danger that no member of the body is more faithfully cared for than the organ of sight. In other words, when something comes at your head, you automatically blink to protect the eyes. Your ears are not protected, your mouth isn't, but your eyes are well protected. And also, the little man of the eye does signify the iris. And when looking into the mirror, we see our own reflection within the iris like a little man in the center. And picture, if you will, the all-knowing, all-seeing eyes of God. And you smack dab in the center of it. And when David said, keep me as the apple of your eye, it meant that no matter where I go and no matter what I do and who I'm hiding from, I might be running from my life from King Saul. I might be in the midst of a battle surrounded by the enemies on every hand, and I might feel like I'm just about ready to die. But King David said, Lord, if you'll keep me as the little man of your eye, if you'll keep me right smack in the center of your eye, I know that you're watching me, and no matter where I'm at, you can find me, and you always know where I'm at because your eye never left where I'm at. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. It may be too hard for you, but it's not too hard. For my God. It might be way out of your grasp, but it's not way out of his grasp. Deuteronomy 32 and 10 drives this point home again. says he found him in a desert land, in the waste howling wilderness. And he led him about, and he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. From Psalms 125 and verse 1, says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forevermore. There are mountains that surround Jerusalem on every hand. And so Jerusalem is protected by mountains. And so, so the Lord was, it was as if God was saying, just as I surround Jerusalem with the mountains, so I surround my people with my presence. And whenever those disciples were out there on the sea, and they were, and they were struggling against that wind or tornado or whatever it was, to the point where it was 3 o'clock in the morning and they had toiled all night. You know they were tired because they had just spent all day, you know, taking care of thousands of people. And Jesus went up in the mountain to pray. He wasn't with them. They were absent from their leader or so they thought. They didn't know he was up there watching them all along. He could see them through the dark tempest, through the storms, through the waves, through the clouds, through everything. He could see down through that. He knew exactly where they were. But somewhere along the lines, somebody should have thought, Wait a second. Jesus is up in a mountain and he's praying and we're down here. 
somebody knew the verse from Psalms 121, which says this, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. And just at the right time, their help came running down from the mountain. The Lord God Almighty, at the right time, when they were out of options, when they were out of tricks, when they were out of everything, he showed up in the right moment at the right time to show his sovereignty over everything. And what that did was he did not speak to them in a condescending way as if to say, well, boys, where was your faith at? Why didn't you have faith? I just got through seeing this miracle. But, but he was there to build their faith. And this is what God is doing in your life right now. He has sent maybe situations in your life to build your faith. So you got to quit toiling and quit striving and keep trying and all, all these tricks. And you got to just stand on God's word. There comes a time when you're out of options. You don't have anything else. And all the hope you have is in the Lord. That's where you lift up your hands and say, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper as we stand. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He will preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So why should I be cast down or discouraged? I've got a God that sees from the mountaintop and he knows all things. Lift up your hands right now and let's just let our voices out for a moment and let's thank God for that. Oh come on, just, just let your faith reach heaven right now. He's a great God.